Hey Lifehouse, it's great to have you joining us online this week. Hey, we're gonna get into our new vision series. It's called Strong and Courageous. So join me, let's go, strap yourselves in as we listen to this morning's message. Father God, we thank you that you are at work, that you are our way maker. Where we might not be able to see that there is a way, Lord, you made a way. Where we were trapped in sin and death and guilt and shame, Lord, you saw a way, and that way was the only way. It was through the cross. But Father, we thank you that you are a way maker. You went to the cross for us to make a way for us all to be welcomed home. So Father, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, worship team. And yes, it is great to be back home. It's great to have a holiday, but there is no place like home. Do I click my heels three times? There's no place like home. Yes. No, it's great to be back. And uh, if you're a visitor here, we call ourselves Lifehouse because we say, you know, this is God's house, but our home. So we want everybody, not just visitors, but we hope that everybody feels at home uh, this morning. And... uh, yeah, going to be sharing a little bit of uh, some of my stories, some of the different things, uh, but we also want to preach the Word of God. So uh, I heard that like a lot of ladies wanted to come to men's breakfast yesterday because they wanted to hear all the stories. Uh, <clears throat> so rest assured, you haven't missed out. Um, you know, I am available for dinner parties. Like if you want to invite me over, I'll happily come and tell you some stories and stuff like that. But yeah, we'll. I just wanted to start off because I know that a lot of you are waiting for different things and um, so yeah, I just thought just to, I guess, boost our faith that uh, we follow, you know, this God of the Bible, um, but it's not just words in a book, that these are real places uh, uh, with real events uh, that happened and so I'm just going to start off by showing a couple of uh, quick little thing. So if we can play that first uh, video. Thanks, Austin. Uh, so this is actually <coughs> the city of David. So um, way back in King David's time, uh, uh, Jerusalem uh, became a, a city, and that is part of the city wall there. Uh, but it was amazing that four and a half years ago when I was there... Um, they um, had sort of said, yeah, based on the Bible, we, we kind of, we've found the outside of the wall and we found this, this kind of this library area and different things like that. But we're pretty confident that if we sort of keep digging in, in this direction, uh, based on the stories of the Bible, that we're going to find uh, David's palace. And so sure enough, in the last four and a half years, as they kept digging because they're, they're digging and excavating all the time, that is exactly what they found. So this uh, sort of structure, it's hard to see, it's t- to us it all just looks like rock, but, um, but yeah, sort of to the right of the, of the, uh, of the screen, some of those um, big rocks there and sort of uh, the wall on the top there is the very corner, it sort of goes down on the top on the inside and they're still excavating um, at the moment. Um, that is actually the very corner of King David's palace from 
from the Bible. So, which is, which is awesome. Okay, next video, if we can play that, that next one. This is, we are actually on, uh, at this point, the, the Temple Mount. So, where uh, the Temple would have been. And walking down, you can see it was raining this particular day. But walking down uh, to what is called the Golden Gate. So, from the inside of, the, of where the Temple would have been, um, walking down and out, uh, to the um, to the Golden Gate, and you could see those original arches that were uh, kind of there, and it's mostly been uh, bricked in. And you can see a little room in there, which I tried to go into, uh, but they kicked me out because they said, "Are you Muslim?" And I said, "No, I definitely am not." And they said, "Well, you're not allowed in here. You need to get out because." Uh, um, it was a, a mosque. So the interesting thing to me is, is that the, uh, the Muslims uh, that are there, they've read their Bible. They know that it says that when Jesus comes back for the second time, that he's coming back through the Golden Gate. And so they've spent a lot of time and money to... Uh, make sure that that doesn't happen. And so just on the outside uh, of the Golden Gate, they have uh, put a cemetery so that you can't really you know, get too close. And you can see that they've bricked up most of it. And from the outside, you can't get, get in at all. Um, and they've put this mosque sort of on the, on the inside. So you can see where the original um, things... And the, so they've bricked up all the inside and, and, um, and put a wall there because... They're sort of convinced that if by putting the by bricking it up, they can block him physically, and by putting the mosque there, they can make sure that they're having this you know spiritual dominance over the area, and uh, that also by putting the the uh, you know the, the graveyard um, on the outside, they figure that well, um, when Jesus does come back, if he has to walk through. The, the dead bodies, in order to go through the Golden Gate, that'll make him unholy. And so even if he does manage to get through that, that Golden Gate, he won't be the, the holy son of God because he's walked through the dead, the dead bodies in order to get there. But what they don't understand is something that we've come to understand, that we kind of know the week that we've had, don't we? And that the fact that you're still here, and that Jesus is actually still here as well, that he doesn't mind the reason that he's coming back is because he knows that we've got, we've got uncleanness, we've got dirt, we've got all this stuff, but he's coming back for us to, to save us, to, to restore us. And so uh, a couple of bricks and uh, a couple of uh, graveyards... Uh, is not going to stop him. A, a stone and a, and a dead body didn't stop him resurrecting the first time, did it? So, but it was great to be able to get away. It was, uh, it was just a, a holiday for us, which was, which was awesome, three weeks uh, away. Uh, and uh, that's part of one of the things that, that, that the board suggested uh, to us. So a couple of years ago... Um, 
the board came and they said, look, Josh, we want, it, we want you to keep doing what you're doing for a long time. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but the average length of time that someone is a, a senior pastor is four years. And I'm approaching nine years uh, doing this job. And so they're just like, we need to look after you. And so we want you to take like a, a three-week uh, block, uh, you know, every year to just, you know, recuperate, rejuvenate yourself so that you can keep doing um, what you're doing. And so I want to listen to the board. That's part of their job is to look after the church, look after me. Uh, and so like two years ago, uh, we booked this three-week holiday in New Zealand when the travel bubble opened up. Uh, so we you know, paid for it all, got ready to go. And then uh, just before we were due to uh, go, another wave of COVID hit and uh, the whole trip uh, got cancelled. So we didn't do it that year. And then last year, um, I thought, well, I'll, instead of having a three-week block, I'll, have, I'll do a six-week block, sort of half-time, uh, because, uh, you know, we're having the, the puppies are, are going to be born. And so I'll be able to, like, be at home and work from home a bit, and that'll be, like, super relaxing, right? But it didn't really kind of happen that either, like the puppies were a fair bit of work and there was still a lot of stuff that needed to happen in and around church and so didn't really get a, uh, <clears throat> a break that time either. But this time uh, it was awesome to be able to, uh, you know, have a time where I just, I did nothing. I didn't have to cook, I didn't have to to clean, I didn't have to walk the dogs, I didn't have to do anything, I didn't even help the wife. Um, <laughs> you know, she came the first day and she's just like, oh, can you help me, you know, carry the bags to the room? And I kind of said, well, I'm on holidays. I mean, <laughs> is, is, is this a marriage issue? And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, like, is this going to affect our marriage? If I don't, like, are you going to want a divorce or anything like that if I don't carry your bags? She said, well, no, no of course not. And I said, well, then, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <clears throat> and so then later on, she said, oh, like, can you, can you make me a cup of, a cup of tea? And uh, I said, is this a marriage issue? <laughs> she said, no. I said, well, no, I'm not doing it. I'm on holidays. And, uh, and uh, you know, then she she, she wanted to, to talk about feelings and stuff. And she wanted to talk about all the places that we'd seen. You know, we went to the, the garden tomb and, and uh, you know, we went to, like, a gate that Abraham walked through and, like, went to all these, like, amazing places. And so, like, she, she wanted to talk about them. And she's like, well, like, what did you think? And I kind of said, is this a marriage issue? <laughs> She said, no. I said, no, not going to talk about that. And then it came to, to night time and I kind of said, you know, let's, you know, we're, we're here, you know, in the Holy Land. It's, it's, it's night time, you know, we're on holidays. Like, let's kind of, let's keep exploring the Holy Lands, if you kind of know what I mean, guys. And uh, <clears throat> so then she said, is, is this a marriage issue? <laughs> I said, no, she said, I'm on holidays. <laughs> now, thankfully, none of that actually happened. 
Because although I was on holidays from my occupation, I was not on holidays from my position. So what, what does that mean? I mean, you take a holiday. When I'm on holidays, I'm not lead pastor of Lifehouse International. But I will always be this side of heaven. I will always be a, a husband, a father, always be kind and generous and devoted. It's, it's not what I do, it's who I am. See, there will come a time when I'm not lead pastor of this church anymore. Maybe I'll be assistant pastor to Tanika or something like that. She can be lead pastor. But I'll always be those things. There's, there's a difference between our occupation and our position. Now, if I did get confused between the two and I started treating my wife as my occupation and my occupation as my wife, she may not divorce me straight away for just not getting her one cup of tea, but it's not what goes into building a strong and courageous marriage. You see, strong and courageous is not just like a tagline that we want to throw out there and we just rah, rah, rah each other up each Sunday so that we have enough strength and courage to go out and face the big bad world you know, for, for another week. It should affect who we are. Strong and courageous is not just something we do. It's part of who we are. But how do we get from where we are now with our fears about tomorrow and the kind of world that our kids and our grandkids are going to grow up in, our worries and our anxieties about today and is this person talking about me and are they against me? To this place where strong and courageous is not just something we feel occasionally when grace is not on holidays, but actually part of who we are. Hopefully we'll explore that together today. But what if part of that journey towards where we want to be, part of the problem that we're facing, maybe the way that we treat God and our salvation. Because maybe we treat God and our salvation a bit like that story of the way that I could have treated my wife on holidays. God asks us to do something. He says, that person over there looks sad, that, that stranger that you've never met. I want you to go up and encourage them. And we kind of go, but like they're going to think that I'm weird. So like, God, if I don't do it, will I still be saved? Is this a salvation issue? And God goes, no, you, you, you'll still get to go to heaven if you don't do it. And so then we say, well, then my answer is no. God comes to us and asks, you know that money that you've been saving? I want you to, to be generous with it and give it away. And we go, well, but that'll cost us our ability to do stuff that, that we want to do. 
And so like, we kind of go, is this a salvation issue, God? No. He goes, well, no. So we go, well, then, no, nah, I don't want to do it. God comes to us and says, you know how you've been struggling with that pornography addiction? Well, I kind of I really would, would like for you to not subscribe to, to Netflix anymore and take TikTok off your phone because it, it'll reduce your screen time and it won't fill your soul with all this negative stuff and lustful stuff like through the day so that then when it gets to, to night time and you're in your room, it'll make it easier to help beat that addiction. So I want you to do that. And we go, is this a salvation issue, God? Because, like, I really find TikTok, like, really quite amusing. There's, there's a lot of, like, funny stuff on there. So God says, well, no, it's not a salvation issue. And so we kind of go, well, then, no, nah, I don't want to do it. So we kind of treat our answer, we, just like I wouldn't have a, a strong marriage if I kept saying no to when my wife asked me to, to do something. We're not going to have a strong faith, a strong walk with God. We won't be able to call ourselves strong and courageous if we keep saying no because we think that our occupation as a Christian is just to make it to heaven is just to be to be saved we think if I can just get to heaven then I can sit back and relax and I can be on holidays there that's my that's my job but salvation is not your Christian occupation redemption is your position it's your identity Saved, redeemed, forgiven, blessed, beloved, empowered, equipped, strong and courageous are meant to be our identity. Not just in the right circumstances, but always in Christ. You see, outside of Christ, none of this is who we are, and so we can only hope to make it our occupation. But in Christ... It becomes our identity. It was great while we were away on holidays. You might think that this is totally the opposite of being on holidays, but to be able to wake up at 3 a.m. Uh, when we were away and watch Tash uh, live uh, online deliver our vision message. And if you miss it, you can go back and watch it on YouTube. But she shared this story about Joshua and his call to be strong and courageous. But why did Joshua need to be strong and courageous in the first place? Because wandering in the wilderness for 40 years was never meant to be the identity of God's children. The promised land was where they belonged. It was where they were supposed to occupy 
not just go for a holiday, but actually live and possess the land. The problem was that there were giants in the land. And so for 40 years, the people of Israel let the giants intimidate them from receiving the inheritance that was rightfully theirs. And we can do the exact same thing. There are giants, there are things that we face that we can let intimidate us from receiving the inheritance and the identity that actually belonged to us. So this is why Joshua had to be strong and courageous. So we're going to read the original account of the, uh, the report that these 12 spies that had gone into the, the promised land, they weren't there yet, but when they first uh, went to spy out the promised land, this is the account of what happened in Numbers 13. They came back and they said, We, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They had this big uh, bunch of grapes and some other fruit that they had got from there. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we will be able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report about the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw there were of great height, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So they gave the enemy that title, that identity of strong and courageous, and they gave themselves the title, the identity of grasshoppers. And notice how it was not just their occupation, it was not just they weren't just saying, sometimes we maybe feel like grasshoppers when this happened or that happened, but they said, no, this is how we see ourselves and also how they saw us. It became their permanent position. But was that the truth? And is that also true of you? You see, fast forward 40 years to when Joshua has now been given this new identity to where no longer the enemy is called strong and courageous, but we get that call that Tash explained that we and the people are to be strong and courageous. And so they go in to spy out the land uh, again. And as they go into the land and they speak to an inhabitant of the land that previously had been called strong and courageous. This lady, Rahab, speaks to the new spies, and this is what she actually says the people in that land, the way that they saw them. In Joshua 2, she said, 
I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan in Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted away, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So the enemy wasn't saying that they were weak and small and looked like grasshoppers. They were saying, your God is great and powerful and we know that he has already given you this land because whatever God says will come to pass. The enemy knew it, but we need to know it today. If we are going to actually be strong and courageous, then we need to know what our identity is. We need to know what our inheritance is. Not based on how skillful we are, not based on how strong we are, not based on how good we are, but based on what God says about us. Based on who he says we are. So what voice are you listening to? The lie that says you're a grasshopper, you're weak, you've tried before and you couldn't do it. You call yourself a... Like, don't you remember what you did this week? The voice that says that you can't or the truth that you have a God fighting for your inheritance... We need to know what the enemy knows. So what makes us strong and courageous? Again, not our size or our strength or our ability. Even how big our faith is. Because you've heard me say before, it's not the size of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves us. So it is knowing our identity in Christ, knowing our inheritance in Christ, knowing our calling in Christ that makes us strong and courageous. Hearing that voice, knowing his decree. So what is God saying to you? Who does God say that you are? What is God saying to us as a church? And making sure that when he does speak, when he does ask us something, that we're not saying, is this a salvation issue? Because my answer to your calling is going to be no. 
but it's knowing that whatever he says comes to pass. Knowing that if he does actually ask us to be kind, it's because he's put kindness into us and he's giving us the ability to be kind, but he needs us to know that that is who we are. That when he asks us and calls us to be generous, that it's because he has put generosity into us and giving us the ability to be generous and giving us the resources to be generous, but that he asks us because when we do say yes, when we're obedient to that, then we get to know that that is our identity, that that is our calling. So when he asks something of us, we don't need to be fearful. We can be strong and courageous because it means that he's going to equip us and empower us because whatever he says, whatever he decrees, can come to pass if we will but say yes and be obedient. Now this conversation took place between Rahab and and the, the spies took place in a town called Jericho. And if you read the end of the story, the Israelites were victorious in Jericho, but not because they had more skill with the sword or more strength in their arm or that the people weren't bigger and, and, and stronger than them and had a wall built around them, Because they defeated Jericho without drawing a sword or laying a punch. The way that they were victorious and the way that we will be victorious in 2023 was through obedience and worship. They were obedient, as we we read in Joshua 6 verse 20, that they were obedient by marching around the walls and they were obedient by worshipping him. They shouted, they gave a shout of praise, that they blew trumpets and the walls came tumbling down. Now I had the privilege of going to Jericho. Jericho is called the oldest city in the world. So it still exists as a city today, back from this time of Rahab. It's now part of what is called the West Bank in Israel. And maybe you've heard of it on the news for all the wrong reasons. So we actually got to to stay there. Uh, We slept a a couple of nights there and we visited... um, some, uh, some sites there and some different things. But the first night that we were staying there, uh, we were in this hotel uh, compound that had these big walls uh, around it. And uh, we were sort of up on the, up on the second floor. And uh, at quarter past three in the morning, the earthquake hit. So the earthquake in in Turkey. Now there was no destruction where we were, but it shook the uh, it shook the hotel and, and woke us up. 
And so I ran to the, to the window, not knowing what or where the earthquake had originated from, but I went to the window to, to see if, like in the story, uh, the walls of Jericho had come tumbling down without anyone touching it, but everything was kind of fine and, and, and safe there. But as I went to the window and started to look out, I saw um, a military operation about to take place. So the Israeli Defence Force, the IDF, was out and they were about to, to do something, which I thought, well, they're not running an exercise because it's, it's quarter past three in the morning. And so through talking to some of the locals, uh, what we worked out after... Uh, the events that, that took place, we worked out what had happened was that uh, three or four days before, uh, a, a terror cell, a Palestinian terror cell had uh, planned an attack on a restaurant. So they actually went into this restaurant with uh, machine guns to kill everybody that was in the restaurant. But when they went in and they pressed the trigger, all of their guns jammed and not one of them fired. But they ran and they fled because they knew that they had been uncovered and that their plan had been uh, foiled. But what we didn't know was, was that they ran and they hid in four different locations all around our hotel. But the IDF had spent the last few days tracking them down and so under the cover of night they were uh, about to uh, bring these people to justice. So as I'm standing there watching all of this unfold I saw drones taking off to go, this was sort of like, um, and so then the, uh, the, the, the terrorists kind of knew that they had been uncovered, so they came out onto the, onto the streets um, and they uh, made barricades on the road and they lit tyres on fire and did all this stuff to prevent the, uh, the military to be able to come in uh, on the roads. And so um, over, I watched over the next two hours as... Uh, the, uh, the IDF went in, so first of all they sent in a uh, uh, whole series of big front-end loaders that came and, and cleared all the barricades, pushed all the tyre fires out of the way um, as they um, went in to, to make sure that the road was clear to, to bring in um, their trucks and tanks and, and different things um, as they poised uh, for, a, uh, for the strike. So then they got into the location, went to all four different locations. There was uh, gunfire, so we were hearing uh, machine guns going off back and forward. Um, there was, uh, I saw at least two explosions uh, that, that took place. Um, and, uh, you know, there was... All the while, there was these loudspeakers going off. So, you know, the, uh, the Palestinian terrorists had these PA systems which they were constantly shouting, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. 
which means our God is the greatest. But in the end, uh, nine uh, of the terrorists were all killed. So then morning came and most of the people on our tour bus that were staying in the hotel had slept through the whole thing. The earthquake, the gunfire, the explosions, the deaths, all of it. And as morning came and we sat down and had breakfast and it was like nothing had happened, the, the city went about just like any other day. And so aside from a little bit of debris left on the road, a few piles of smouldering rubble and mourners from the wives and the mothers and brothers and sisters of those that had been killed started to all gather as this is a small community and these nine terrorists had been, had been killed that had lived there. And then we hopped on our tour bus and we prayed as we normally did every day and we started to worship as we did every day. Well, everybody apart from myself and Belinda, I remained silent. You see, the song that they chose to sing was Raise a Hallelujah. Of my go, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemy. And you see, the, the week before that, there was some Palestinian terrorists again that had gone into a synagogue. And this time they were successful. They had killed seven people. And then as they returned home, uh, they were welcomed home with shouts of praise and adoration. They let off fireworks. They chanted again, Allah Akbar. Our God is greatest, as they celebrated killing innocent people. And so I didn't want to be doing the same thing as I saw those people gather to, to mourn. Yes, they were terrorists, but there were still families that were affected of these people. And so I didn't want to be doing the same thing, saying... I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies for them to think that I was celebrating the same way that they had celebrated what they had done. So I remained silent. And so in that moment, I... I did take a holiday from being your strong and courageous leader. I wasn't strong and courageous. 
And so I cried and I cried out to God, what, what do I do here? And he said, why are you silent? And I said, I don't want them to think that I'm celebrating this because I don't celebrate it. And he said, are they your enemy? And I said, no, they're not God. They're not my enemy. They've been misled. They've been lied to. But they're not my enemy. He said, do you have an enemy? I said, yes, God, I do. He said, then the song remains true. Don't let your worship be silenced. Your worship unlocks your inheritance. Don't let intimidation steal your inheritance. Don't let the giants in the land stop you from receiving that which was always meant to be yours. You can't worry about what other people think. You only need to be concerned with what I think. So worship. And look, you may not have seen what I saw. You may not have experienced what I experienced, but you too have experienced the same type of thing. So my question is, what would it take to silence your worship? Something fun to do on a Saturday night. This means that you sleep in on a Sunday. The ability to be able to stay at home and watch online in the comfort of your home rather than joining together as part of a community. The fact that we've all got personal sin. And so we feel unworthy. What would it take to silence your worship? Like me, you have been misunderstood. And we've been tempted to be silenced because of that misunderstanding. As Christians, people may think that our enemy is gay people, that our enemy are people that have had abortions, that our enemy is the left-supporting, woke-thinking, vegan-eating, Disney-supporting, Pokemon-playing, Harry Potter-watching, postmodern, you-do-you-boo majority that tells us that you're just an antiquated thinking intolerant bigot that just needs to sit down and be quiet because your time is over and yes there are going to be people that misunderstand you but they are not the enemy they are the people that we are called to love and minister to and they are the reason that we cannot be silent 
So just like the Israelites and me eventually, today as we approach Jericho, we're going to be obedient and we're going to worship. And as we do these things, walls are going to come tumbling down. Walls that the enemy has put up in relationships, walls that the enemies have put up in our finances, walls that the enemy has put up to silence us. Walls of fear and anxiety are going to come tumbling down in Jesus' name. Because we will no longer be disobedient to the call. We're no is the answer to our question, to the questions that God asks us. As we say, is this a salvation issue? Do I really have to do this, God? Which only serves to make our faith weaker. No, our obedience will be fast, will be decisive, and will be complete. We will not be silent. We will be strong and courageous. So let's stand and let's raise a hallelujah together. Let's worship. Wow, what an amazing word that was. Hey, if you felt like you really connected to that word, then feel free to jump onto life.house, click on my response and tell us all about it. We'd love to hear it. We love having you guys online. We even more want to see you in person. So if you're in Murray Bridge on a Sunday morning, come through 170 Adelaide Road at 10am and we will see you in person. See you then.